Kala Falava and welcome to the Global Bus Figure Success Podcast. I'm Andrew Fawali, your host. Every week I'll be chatting with successful Pacific people from across the globe, unpacking their stories and more importantly, picking out insights, lessons and golden nuggets you can use to live your best life too. Kala Falava everybody, uh, welcome and thanks again for joining us on the Global Bus Figure Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Manawise Group an integrated community and advancement firm which serves community through the care sector, consulting, training, recruitment, human resources, and the non-profit sector. So check us out at www.manawisegroup.com or on our socials, which is Manawise Group, at Manawise Group, on Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Cool, so following on from Deacon Manu's podcast, Deacon was a former Waikato Chiefs and Flying Fijian rep and captain. Uh, we're extending the rugby theme here, and so this week we've got Rama Chand on show. Uh, Rama was born in Fiji, raised in New Zealand, and currently the Director of Rugby Development at the Georgia Rugby Union. So for clarity's sake, for those like me who didn't really know much about Georgia as a country or as a rugby nation, Georgia is an emerging nation on the international rugby scene, and by their own standards, they've probably underperformed at the current World Cup in France. But they're definitely setting up as a um, consistent challenger to Tier 1 nations. Uh, they've got really good structure, a lot of resources, and uh, they've got a lot of uh, cohesion and tightness in their teams. A lot of them play up in France, um, so there's a really bright future ahead. As a country, Georgia lies between Russia and the Middle East, just above Syria, Iraq, and Iran. And uh, it's a really interesting place for a, for a person to, to live And just like many other Pacific people, uh, it's really interesting to see how how spread out we are in, in these really interesting corners of the world. Um, personally, I actually met Rama when we were both living in Dubai over 15 years ago. Um, and after leaving the fast place of Dubai, uh, Rama went up to Europe and worked for Adidas up uh, in um, Europe. And I relocated to Queensland and Rama soon after followed, followed suit. Um, and we both landed in Queensland, to be honest, with lots of experiences and insights, um, but probably not much more. We were both single, uh, without any investments, etc., cetera, uh, without a career path forged, and probably a bit confused about where to next. So it's been really uh, awesome to watch Rama's career unfold since then. Uh, he first gained a job in Queensland, in regional Queensland, in Mackay um, and Ely Beach, and he was coaching there, and um, he was soon identified as a coach with potential, and the Queensland Rugby Union brought him down to Brisbane to coach coaches. Uh, from there, uh, bigger things were on the horizon for him. He was identified by the national body Rugby Australia and was employed by them in a similar capacity before being shoulder-tapped by Georgia Rugby to head their development. Um, taking up this role uh, required a whole heap of courage as Rama was newly married had taken up a mortgage in Brisbane and had one child under one and another one on the way with his wife, Rebecca. Uh, so to have all that and decide to go a faraway land that spoke a foreign language and think that he could develop or help develop coaches there where communication would be key uh, without the commonality of a single language, I think it's testament of a man who's really confident in his professional identity, uh, confident in his own capacity and capability, and testament of a family who can make tough decisions together and walk towards the pressure. I really like how uh, Rama and Rebecca, you know, throw up these metrics of how they made those decisions, and I think you'll find it really useful too to have some sort of similar metrics. 
Rama is a coach's coach, so has lots of insights about human potential, about high-performing teams, and also about systems that foster success. Um, my first question to Rama was to explain how on earth he ended up in Georgia. So I moved here from Brisbane where I was working with Rugby Australia, got offered a job to come over to Georgia Rugby Union uh, at the start of 2022. Um, took a little while, like I was saying before, to, to go through the opportunity that presented itself and being really clinical in that decision as well, you know, in terms of making the move. You know, for us and for me in particular, um, it wasn't just about, oh, it's in the other side of the world, different language, up and coming union. Everyone knows that. It was it was just about again what what's the benefit to to me and the family for for making the change and and does it tick sort of three key areas for me which was that opportunity finance and environment those are the three key things when it comes to any opportunity whether it's Aussie or Georgia or Fiji wherever and it ticked a lot of two of the three uh, if it ticked one of the three probably was a no but if it ticks ticks three of the three even better but thankfully since being here. Um, the environment through the due diligence that you do, you know, talking to people who've been here before, talking to the key relationships that you're going to have when you're here, um, doing your own research, blah, 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 blah. It's definitely met what I expected, to be honest, if not over exceeded, which is, which is cool, you know. So I'm here for 2.5 years. Uh, my role is sort of that director of rugby development. My role essentially has been brought in to try and improve the overall standard of the game in Georgia. Yeah. So it's quite a big, re- quite a big remit. A lot of it's looking at processes, um, structures, systems, in particular in relation to our yeah, sort of talent pathways, you know, so how we can transition players once they're ID'd into the ability to develop and nurture them and then ultimately make them perform and, and then confirm their talent and how we can retain them through our pathway. So that pathway sort of starts at that under 18 level, goes through our under 20s onto our franchise team and onto our national team. So obviously having clear links and, and alignment to our national team program, who who obviously, you know, a lot of the rugby world has probably started to notice of late, you know, are doing some pretty good things considering considering the opportunities that they get, which is pretty limited. And then the other part of the game is obviously looking at our coaching, you know, oh, sorry, our workforce talent. So ability to develop people ultimately is is what what that is. Some unions will define it as coach education or match official education or SNC education or medical education or match commission education and stuff. But ultimately, it's just making your people better. Um, that's the key. And, and how we do that is it sort of sits with me. Uh, obviously, our clubs and competitions, Georgia actually has a pretty strong and, and historical competition called the Didiati, uh, which is a fully professional competition, uh, fully professional in the terms that everyone's paid um, coaches, staff, players, everyone's paid. We have a first league, which is underneath that, which is a promotion relegation. Again, everyone's full-time. And that was probably the thing that surprised me here coming into our domestic comp is that it's a pro- professional comp there. Everyone's paid. There's a lot of workforce, a lot of resource. Obviously, the, the ability for me to try and improve the capability of them is, is what's probably the key difference. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of countries, I'm sure, if you said to rugby, 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 playing nations um it's not like other sports but if you went to aussie or new zealand and say hey look your club comp's going to be fully professional it's going to have everyone paid everyone's going to uh everyone involved in the team is going to have a budget that the union gives you and you can spend that on x y and z that'll put the hand up in a heartbeat okay so georgia's already got that but um the challenge is obviously to make it make it really impactful and in, in terms of how 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 the union's trying to 
make it so that Georgia rugby benefits overall and not just not just obviously the clubs. Sweet. So there's heaps in there, but I just want to go back to the um, the migration part because uh, to give some context, you had a really good job at Rugby Australia. Your wife is uh, in the dental industry. You just had a kid. You got a mortgage. Uh, you're living in a really nice suburb, I reckon, in Brisbane. Uh, life looks like it's pretty much near perfect. Uh, you got another kid on the way. Man, from the outside looking in, right, that was a massive decision, and I'm still pretty. Um, <laughs> oh, I really, I really respect the courage to make the move. But um, so you've touched on the, uh, you know, some of the metrics that you took professionally. The opportunity uh, had to be good. The finance had to cover your family, and the environment had to be conducive. But then what about the metrics inside your family, given that your wife was still pregnant when you were considering and you got the mortgage and you got all these other pressures yep. and the fact that uh, Brisbane's just a nice place to stay? Yeah, yeah, hard out, bro. I think, you know, like having travelled the world and lived in quite a few different countries, like yourself, you know, it's um, it's funny, bro, because when I, when I moved to Aussie, that was supposed to be my nest, you know, just to park up, be calm build that consistency and cohesion in relationships, but consistency in finance, consistency in, in job, which I'm sure a lot of rugby players, you know, who've traveled or people who've gone overseas and enjoyed themselves for periods of time, I have tried to do. And, and that was my whole purpose. I'll be honest. I, I always did think, I don't know why, but at the back of my head, for some reason, I always thought I would go back overseas. Not that I'm from Australia. So Australia technically is overseas, but yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of Kiwis. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. A lot yeah, of exactly. Kiwis associate Australia is quite comfortable. But I did think I would go overseas. I just didn't think it'd be this fast, and especially with those circumstances that you just mentioned about about Rebecca being uh, yeah, six, seven months pregnant, uh, my boy only being eight months, nine months, and and then like you said, having really good stability in her role, my role, um, and and obviously having our un union like Rugby Australia, which I was very fortunate to work with. A lot of good people, mate. A lot of good people. Uh, um, as much as they critiqued, like I said, it's it's um, union that's got a lot of good people that are trying to do good things. You know, we just got. I just don't think people understand how competitive the sporting landscape is in Australia. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I was very fortunate. They were very good to me. I, I was always always had flexibility in what I did. Um, they moved me from role to role to try and suit my skill sets. To be honest, which I thought was pretty progressive. So to give that all up, I suppose, was a big call, mate, especially when the two little babies, you know, <laughs> and uh, and the reason we told Georgia we were going to come later was was I just said, oh, look, my girl's too young for me to jump on a plane for 26 hours. Yeah, That's not going to work. That's not going to work. She's got to be at least three, four months when she's had her vaccines, blah, 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 blah. Even though we knew it would be a challenge, we, we, we looked at it as two things. When you get these opportunities presented, I reckon that's what I'm saying. Like, you've got to have a clear process. And those three things that you mentioned is the process, you know, in terms of opportunity, finance, environment. But outside of that, you've got to go, what's the reason we're going? So for us, personal growth is just as important, if not more important than professional growth. Yeah. So it's not just about professional growth. Personal growth we get out of this is we're on another side of the world together as a family, not speaking the local native language, not knowing anyone, having challenges of literally just, just communicating with anyone, having two children who are, who can go berserk in a second, but more importantly, it allowed a, one of one of the parents, so either me or her, obviously her in this situation, to spend more time with the children, yeah. which was really important for us. So what that means is Beck just is a stay-at-home mum with our kids and gets to see them all the time. My thing I've got to work on here is to make sure that I'm, again, I'm being that good husband, good dad, 
um, you know, good good support network for her as well to make sure she's supported because um, obviously she's away from family as well, you know. So um, so you've you've been in this. So RA was very progressive in that uh, it was flexible and tried to carve out a role for your talent. Uh, Georgia held off for you to fly you over and the kids because baby was born and needed to get her vax. But these companies and these organisations and these national bodies were flexible around your talent. So it shows that the amount of talent you have was worth being flexible for. So let's go back and see where you got the talent from. You are born in Fiji and then migrated over NZ where we both grew up in South Auckland. You want to give a brief chat around, around that journey? Yeah, yeah, bro. So man, like, I think I think a lot of kids uh, to immigrant immigrant parents, you know, like I think um, if you get opportunities, I'm sure you look at it like, well, my parents didn't move to NZ for me to just park up and just do the comfort. The whole reason they gave me moved me here is for opportunities, and that opportunity might be here locally, of course, but it could be overseas too, or it could be somewhere on the other side of the world. Um, so the way I, way I approached it is I'd probably do a disservice if I just didn't fulfill where, where I could push myself, push my boundaries. Cause like they did, you know, obviously my dad in particular sought, sought that, um, opportunity for him and his family first. Obviously, like a lot of parents back in those days, he would have gone first and he would have tried to hustle his wife and kids over. Like this is, this is the common story, I think. But we're just in a, we're just 20, 30 years down the line, mate, trying to, trying to do the same thing, you know, and thankfully it's that word. My, my kids will never, never go through that, which is, which is the truth. They'll never go through that, um, challenge and privilege, you know, that, that we never had, you know, and everything's context. So what, like I said, that, that saying, which is so true. Someone else's hard is my easy, you know, and someone else's easy is my hard, you know, like we've just got to understand. What's easy for you? What's hard for you? And how how willing are you to push it? Um, so my parents, my my yeah. Because obviously we both met in Dubai, but you went to <coughs> which school did you go to in Papakura, Rosal? Rosal, yeah. yeah so you Rosal College in Papakura. You went out and did an exercise science degree. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you pretty much did. You bolt straight after you graduated to Dubai. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, exactly. So I um, pretty much did the NZ. Moved to New Zealand with my family when I was real young, about that six six years of age. Uh, did schooling, primary, high school in Papakura. Did a sports related degree mainly because that's what I was good at. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was familiar with. But also there was a motivation that I wanted knowledge. And like we had a lot of talented people on that course, mate, like a lot of good guys who've gone on to do a lot of good things in, in sport, especially contact sport. Um, but I reckon we're all on there for the same reason, because we probably just wanted to make ourselves better athletes, honestly. Yeah. And we just didn't know how, because you got to remember that this is, this is in the early 2000s. So what that means is um, there wasn't as much readily available content, you know, like there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't all these things where you could just find knowledge at the tap of your fingers. So, you know, we did this as as a way to support our ability to try and try to play professional sport, which some of the some of the fellows and girls that I mentioned did, did that, or just or just literally use it as something that you're good at, which is sport, because you probably ID'd with sport in high school and you were known as the sporty person, and um, so it was comfortable as well. But careers in that time were still growing in New Zealand. New Zealand's a small market in that space. Now it's different, and Aussie's definitely different. Yeah. And from a sports sports space, but at that time it was just look. I just want to be better at, at playing rugby. So how can I do that? Okay, there's an opportunity here for me to do, do, do a degree. 
okay, cool. AET is willing to support with X, Y, and Z. Okay, it's a good fit. And and I think I was pretty um, I think I was pretty clear with with that direction. To be honest, I didn't really didn't know where I was going to go, but what I did know is is that was a strength that I had, and I and I wanted to try and make it even stronger, you know. And then from that time straight away, when I finished the degree, yeah, this this Dubai Dubai opportunity came. So I left at twenty two, which is pretty young, you know. I, I I did some good, reasonably good rugby and representative teams and things, but probably didn't get to that super level like like I'm sure a lot of young guys who put so much time and effort into their rugby did. And I think I did put a lot of time and effort into it, to be honest. But probably now looking back probably could have been a little bit more um, accurate with where I spend my time and that time and effort. So you're um, playing uh, reps for in the counties region, eh? Yeah, yeah, so county stuff. And we had a lot of good talent and position I played, mate. <laughs> There's some tough, tough characters to try and get ahead of in the depth chart, you know what I mean? So, and I understand all of that now as a coach, you know, but I, I never, never would have understood it as a young person. I just thought maybe I wasn't good enough, even though I was a very, very good player, but... You get what I mean? But now looking yeah. at how we do the depth charts and tracking the players, I probably should have slowed down a little bit in turn, been a little bit more patient, spent a bit more time. But I just looked at it like back then, if I'm not playing super by the time I'm 21, it's over. You know what I mean? I've got to do something else. Do you reckon heaps and of I, young I, kids are doing this? Because I feel like heaps of people take off really early. And I, I, I could understand because there's only a limited amount of spots. But um, what do you reckon from a coaches and a sports administrator perspective now? On that journey, you're saying be more patient. You know, what's the underpinnings to you saying be more patient for these up and comers? Yeah, I reckon what I mean by that is um, when you're young, it's the same as when you retire from playing. You want to get to the top as soon as you can. Like you want to be the head coach of the the main team ASAP. But you got to have a reality check in terms of that journey and what are the key things you need to achieve. Consistency. Don't underestimate consistency in a in a premier competition. You yeah. know, of course, people, not everyone's going to have an academy spot. I'm not saying that. And and unfortunately, a lot of people get disheartened, including parents. And I think parents have a big part to play in this because they have a lot of influence in terms of the child's direction. And when I say child, I'm not just talking 16, 17. I'm talking even 19, 20-year-olds, especially in Pacifica families, you know, where that can that can be a real, real big influence. Um, I just think that don't underestimate your ability to improve in a competition that that's meaningful. So if you're playing Premier Rugby in the competition, whether it's in counties or Auckland, um, or whether it's Hospital Club in Brisbane, and you're carving, you're going to get a conversation with someone from that franchise, no doubt about it. And then it's just a matter of you delivering and performing at that critical uh, moment, you know, whether it's a tournament or, or a match, and then trying to do that again and again. Mm. And coaches, the way the way they depth chart is you, you wouldn't even know as a young person, someone's already talking about you or knowing about you in the background. But because no one's had a face-to-face conversation with you, you don't know that. So sometimes you feel like, you know, nothing's going on when you're literally only one or two injuries away or one or two games of just carving up from getting getting the conversation happening, you know. I'm not saying it leads to a provisional contract. Mm. Well, I'm saying it leads to an opportunity. And then it's up to you to take that opportunity with both hands. Okay, so obviously there are eyes that are broader than what the public often think because they often think, oh, once you're ID'd and you're in a pathway, then that's it, you're either there or you're not. But obviously that goes against the principle of trying to keep your basis covered, eh? Because you need depth. The principle of depth being really underpinning driver to success broadly has been shown at the elite level. Like when the when Dan Carter falls over and then Aaron Cruden falls over and then old mates out fishing, you know, that's the amount of depth. 
Yeah, yeah, that's 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 it, mate. Like um, every sport, you know, they want to build depth. Unfortunately, you know, if you're in a rush, depth is no good for you, mate. I'll be I'll be honest. Depth doesn't suit your. It's not a good match. Mm. Uh, if you're someone, you know, like you said, you enjoy your community, enjoy your club, enjoy what you're doing, and and that's the number one thing I'd recommend is just love what you're doing, and anything else is a bonus. You know, even for me, I probably got to the stage where I because it was just going through that transition of opportunities and stuff, I looked at it more as like an opportunity to to get around the world, you know what I mean, and get my bills paid or whatever. But that's probably not the right way to look at it at that time. I, th- I think you just got to enjoy what you're doing, be around good people in a good club, good community with support, um, and just play good, consistent football and stand out. You have to stand out. We're not we're not talking about participation here. We're talking about someone who's trying to get opportunity to 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 get a contract, you know, and you have to stand out. And you just got to find out what are those key indicators that make you stand out in your position, you know. And sometimes it's hard, but sometimes you just need to have a conversation with someone, you know, especially in terms of a key coaching position who can literally fill you. And if your head coaches aren't giving you regular feedback, mm. then in my opinion, they're not doing their job. Um at the end of the day if you're someone aspirational and you want to go to another level that coach's role of course is to try and help you get to that level you may not get there he may not help you get there but at least he can be clear on what you need to get there you know i've read somewhere that you know in organizational culture high performing teams uh, for each person in the team there's three questions that will help them go from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic and the first one is what is my role so being really clear on your job how am I going? So getting that feedback and then am I valued? So I think it's around that belonging or that environment base. So man, I cringe when I think back to coaching over in Dubai. I actually had no idea, uh, you know, and and the thing is, it's it's a good example, right? Because you were playing in that team that John Marmere set up under Todd Dubai and stuff. But I, I just cringe at some of the things I used to do and some of the things I used to say. In terms of your perspective now as a coach, because then coaches too, you know, you wouldn't blame them for being in a rush because there aren't that many positions. What do you say to coaches? Do you say the same thing to coaches? Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard, bro. It's hard. At the end of the day, you know, like um, as a player, you know, when you're playing, if you if you're playing for the love and you've got a little bit of talent, and that talent's been ID'd and a rep- and ID'd means you've been identified for a representative team. And you might have played one or two, or you might have gone through the whole pathway. Coaching is a bit different because, just like everyone, you know, everyone, everyone at the end of the day, um, you you got to you got to try to do it where you're giving there's value on the time you're you're willing to give up, um, and that's the hard thing. Again, same thing as a player um, transitioning to a coach. The first thing we try and do is get to the top ASAP. I don't know what it is, but I think everyone tries to do it. Um, but I think I actually had this conversation today with a guy exactly about this topic. He played about 70 tests for Georgia. He's a really good, really good player, legend of the game, halfback as well. So the key decision-making position, you know, key key game manager, uh, someone who probably thinks a bit differently, you would hope. And um, he's involved in our under-20s. We're having a discussion about his journey and, I just advised them. I just said, look, sometimes we just try and rush too fast. And sometimes we get in positions we think sink or swim. But in coaching, sometimes if you jump too quick, um, you can actually have a negative experience, you know what I mean, based on the competencies you're probably not ready for. Um, Everyone, you know, I'm the type of guy who probably jumps in, you know, and sinks or swims, and I try and swim most of the time. But 
what I'm saying is now looking back at my journey, I, I, I probably should have slowed down a lot more. I probably should have been more patient. Um, say you didn't get this opportunity or you didn't get promoted here. I'm not saying you throw the toys at the cop, but you have a lot of disgruntle towards towards it. Uh, and I think I think if you look at it as a journey, not as a not as a race, and on that journey you're going to pick up all these skill sets that are going to be really really valuable. The way you pick up those skill sets is by doing, not by anything else. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if you've heard about this um, seventy twenty ten rule, which is so true. That ten percent of knowledge will come from doing a course or a level three, level two, level four. Twenty yeah. percent will come from watching someone, um, observing someone, podcasts, mm. uh, visual, blah 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 blah. And then seventy percent of the learning comes from doing, and it's so true. From the failures that you make, from the from the um, wins that you have, from the self reflection po- process, um, from your ability to um, to understand why something's working, why something's not from those critical conversations you need to have with staff or players, the critical conversations you need to have with yourself in the mirror, that's doing, you know, like that's that's where the real art comes in of, of developing. And I think when you're in those early years of transitioning from playing to coaching, I, th- I think everyone's in far too much of a rush. I reckon also on your career, you, you've done pretty good. You've, uh, well, you've done awesome. But when I map it out and think about where you were when we both came back from Dubai and ended up in Australia, so you went up to North Queensland and you were based in Mackay. Man, I was. Yep. I remember we met up at Calvin Grove and I was thinking, bro, I'm about to go back home here in Brisbane and now you've got to fly up to Mackay. And now I work out of Mackay <laughs> and I, I know it's beautiful and that early beach is right there. But to me, for a kid from South Auckland, Mackay was like, bro, you're going out to the WAPS. What are you doing out there? So... Like I thought, man, he's really being patient in this. He's gone up there, and then you were you showed your talent and you showed you know your value, and then they brought you down to the Queensland Rugby Union, southeast into Brisbane, and then they pulled you into the national body, and it was just because you were doing excellent work wherever you were located. So, what was your rationale behind going to Mackay and like is it Central or North Queensland? No, nah, North, uh, North, North, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Ely Beach, which technically is North Queensland, yeah. but Mackay is yeah central. Yeah, yeah. It's that it's that whole it's that whole um, mapping out stuff. But um, there's I think there's a bit debate, a bit of debate up there with the locals. But the reason I suppose I came back, well, not came back, I never been there. Um, was was honestly after playing football and stopping playing and ending up in Amsterdam of all places. You know, a really cool modern hip city in in in. <laughs> In, in, in the world, bro, you know, that, that a lot of people have perceptions about. Mate, I loved it. Like, Amsterdam was unreal, um, mainly because of the history, culture, people, blah, blah, blah. But I'll be honest, at that 32, I think I was pretty 31, 32 when I stopped playing. You know, what are you up to? Like, what do you do? You know, yeah, you got a degree, but that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And you haven't really had as much lived work experience. You haven't been able to bank money over a 10-year period. You haven't been able to invest in a home. Like, these are all the things that I'm sure guys who've done this whole – overseas travel gigs whether it's through sport or work i'm sure everyone's gone through it um but the reason i probably i always thought i'd end up in australasia i don't know it was new zealand or aussie and again it was just leveraging what i thought i could leverage from that's the key i think you've got to understand what your good where your leverage points are and i think if you've got some leverage points i don't think there's any harm in using them so my leverage point was rugby obviously and the opportunity was a club 
and Ellie Beach wanted to support me to come back and, and, and offer me a gig to coach. Yeah, the rugby level was pretty, pretty okay. It wasn't, wasn't the highest standard. And, but what my point is, I used that leverage to get me back to an area um, where I thought I could do well. And yeah. once, once arriving there, then the Reds obviously, um, pretty soon after got in contact for a job opportunity as the development officer. So I started sort of at the, the bottom end of the supply chain, so called. Of any sport, you know, the the a DO role is great, mate. A DO role ultimately teaches you the supply chain from sport from um start to finish, especially in a place like Australia where it's so competitive and you're in rugby league territory up there, you know. Um everything from conversations, relationships you have to build and create to get the game moving from the from the kid who's never picked up a ball to to the talented pathway player that you need to ID in the region that may end up in a reds red system. From the passionate diehard Wallaby fan, you know, to the to the non-believer up in the region, to, to everyone from commercial sponsors, from presidents of the union, from clubs uh, who are struggling, some are thriving, but you, you get this experience from everything, from the coach education that you've got to deliver in terms of helping people with their knowledge, skills, experience of the game, um, from from running 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 events events such as sevens tournaments to get new people interested in the game to. To, to sort of uh, allow allow young people, especially, to showcase their talent. So, so the DO role was really cool, you know, because it gave me. I reckon it's one of the best roles if you want to try to get a career in sport. I reckon development officer in any any sport. It's tough. Don't get me wrong. It is tough, and I reckon it's got a lifespan of about a couple of years. Yeah. I was just fortunate. I was just fortunate that I kicked enough goals to obviously keep progressing up that pathway and the journey. But I reckon if you're really are interested in, in um, career career in sport, or, and you want to go go somewhere, and you want to ultimately end up being a leader in sport, yeah, I think it's no better experience than being a DO. I, I see that like that's transferable actually, because um, there's equivalent DO development officer roles in other companies and other organisations and other businesses and stuff that uh, you might not be getting the pay paid the best, but you get the breadth and the yep. and the depth of each phase of the workflow so then over time you become really valuable just in terms of your knowledge and your understanding of the context because yep. even in right now even in our business that like we got we got a person who sits behind everything you'll never see her face but if we ever need if i as the ceo ever need to know anything like get data for any part where i think is not being efficient or how do we learn from that area i go to her and she goes, oh, yeah, here's the data, boom. I can see over time, man, she's becoming really, really pivotal. And you then want to kind of progress them up because they just know so much. And the retention rates of people with that much IP is really, really um, valuable. But the cost when they leave is not just the cost of them leaving. It's all the knowledge, experience, insights, and relationships that they take yep. with them. So... I just want to touch yep. on the mindset when you came back because, uh, okay, so being transparent, we came back in around the same age but at different times because you came, you arrived to Australia later than me. We had just been a big chunk of our lives overseas and abroad and felt like we came back at around early 30s thinking, holy man, what have we got? <laughs> you know, especially playing around in the Middle East and, you know, we were going up to, you know, the Northern Hemisphere a lot. Obviously, it impacted us because we felt like we were behind if we are being transparent. But yeah. now we I feel like with those experiences, we're in a really, really positive position because now we did catch up on the mortgages and we did catch up on the – we have got families and we do have really good, steady roles. How was it for you coming into Mackay 
going out to the regions of Queensland and thinking, oh man, like what was all that for? How, how did you get over that? Because on the back of it, the long game shows you've done really awesome. Well, bro, like I think I think it's just yeah. I, I think going back to your earlier point about the about the DO stuff, like think that don't underestimate the relationships. You know, for businesses out there, thing like you said, you had experience now now with some of your staff. Don't underestimate the relationships that that person is building between the brand and the end user. Like yeah. that's the key. And and at the end of the day, if you get a right person and, and and you believe in them, they can take your business so far, and they can grow the sport for you. So again, if you ID again, it's like telling ID mate for players. Just telling ID people seriously. Like we've got to get better at that as businesses and organisations. Um, your, your, your people will always get you success. Always remember that. So you might as well invest in them and back them. You know. Yeah. Same with me though. When I went out to um, Australasia, um, I was I was it was sort of like I don't know, man. Like I've I've always looked very short sight. So I've been a long term planner, but I've always believed in myself i suppose that that if i get the opportunity i'll take it and I, yeah. i'll be able to deliver so I, I, there was there was never never a doubt i had an experience in in um amsterdam which i which probably gave me a lot more belief coming back and gave me a lot more confidence which was with um adidas sports sports marketing you know that was probably one of the roles that 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 role and the fact that it was so highly sought after all over europe and, and i was fortunate enough to get that role wow um, you know, gave me a lot of belief because I was just going, hey, shit, I'm just throwing myself out here. And yeah, yeah. through relationships, again, it opened the door, but the rugby relationships again, but man, the amount of exper- experience and exposure I got to the business of sport, um, how we use um, you know, our assets or our teams or athletes and, and how we connect them to the brand. And, and, and we dealt with big brands. I like big Football, basketball, track and field, like the big dogs. Yeah. Rugby, obviously, that was what I knew, but it was a small player, you know what I mean, in terms of that space with these big brands. So I just had a lot of belief because I'll be honest, the reason I had a lot of belief was because I just had quality people around me, mate, who were just high performance. I just had literally the person sitting next to me, the person opposite me, just unbelievable. These people would walk into many jobs I would expect in any company. Thankfully, I don't know how, I was just sitting next to them, you know what I mean, and, and learning from them, but also – Again, giving value, you know, which yeah. I probably didn't see at that time, but reflecting back, um, I, so it gave me a lot of belief, even more in the in the real world. So yeah. cool, because because I'd obviously landed a role that in the real world was very very difficult to get. So, so was yours rugby? I, was yours rugby specific? For for Adidas, no, yeah. it was it was like cross category marketing, which is which is why I I got that more belief. So we dealt through the categories and how we could leverage those assets, you know, to promote the brand. And so the experience I got, like I'd work with like the head of football or the head of basketball or the head of rugby and cricket or the head of cross-cutting marketing and they're the main dogs, you know, the Lionel Messi's of the world type thing, you know what I mean? And, and you're creating campaigns, yeah, and, and you're just going, holy moly, like these people are pretty pretty successful people and, and you know, fortunately they backed me to be in a role uh, and trust me with workload or whatever I needed to do to support them. So, um, so that gave me a lot of belief. And to be honest, when I was coming back to Aussie, I knew, I knew the coaching player thing was, was obviously, well, to be honest, more coaching. I wasn't really planning to play at all, but, um, the coaching thing was definitely an opportunity. But again, my mindset going back to our earlier conversation was it was probably a bit short sighted because I wanted to get to the top as soon as possible. But, but I knew that, you know, I had a degree, I had experience overseas, I picked up skills along that way. And I knew what my leverage points were and I was confident. So those are the things I think that you, you gotta, 
display yourself and then it just needs the right opportunity and I'm sure you'll showcase those. Whereas I don't know if everyone understands quite themselves in those five areas. Like I just said, I, I just think that one one thing, one thing I always knew, you got to know yourself, mate. You got to know what you're good at, what you're not good at. I reckon most people struggle to manage themselves, honestly. And, and at the end of the day, that intrapersonal relationship you have with yourself is so critical. And I think that's the number one thing. If you can get that right, I think you got a really good opportunity for a lot of things in life. And, I, and I'm being honest, I reckon a lot of people I met struggle with that. I struggle with it at times, but at least I can self-reflect and adjust myself and adapt. But that intrapersonal relationship you have with yourself is, is is the critical piece before you can move on to anyone else and worry about the interpersonal relationship, before you can move on to your knowledge, skills, experience. You, you just got to be good at managing yourself, mate, day to day. What are your daily habits? How do you define what success is? How do you get yourself up when you get knocked back down? You're like, all that sort of stuff. You know, that's that personal relationship, mate. You know, that that's key. Okay, so let's do a bit of a dive there then. So you came down to uh, Brisbane. You coached heaps, man. So it wasn't easy because coaching yeah. is a lot of input, a lot of uh, energy, resource, time. So you, you coached at schools, you coached that club, you coached that rep. And this is what I'm really interested in, and this is what I was interested in when we used to catch up for coffees. Human potential. How do you, how do you get the most out of human potential as a coach? And then how do you see it? from a personal point of view? I think it's like, um, it's like riding, um, it's like swimming, mate. To be good at swimming, you got to swim, you know, or riding a bike. To get good at riding a bike, you got to ride a bike. Coaching is the same, mate. You got to be able to do. And yeah, when I, when I was down in SEQ, like Southeast Queensland, Brisbane, not just because opportunities opened up, but I was, I was wanting to do as much as I could when I could whether it was youth, whether it was men's senior football, whether it was sevens, uh, and obviously some of the representative pathways, you know, with youth boys, seniors, women's, et cetera, et cetera, sevens. Yeah, it was an aspiration because you're going through the pathway of coaching. But I'll be honest, it was also just learning, mate. Like the best way to learn is to do. And um, I was fortunate enough, obviously, that that I could back that up with better accreditation, a better experience, a bit of all-roundedness, you know, all that stuff. Most of my roles were head coach roles. Um, and that's a whole different talking point in itself, you know, like the ability to be a head coach versus assistant coach is totally different. Um, and, and a lot of the head coach roles, I'm sure I could have done a lot of better things on reflection, of course. But the difference is you put yourself out there, mate. Like when you're a head coach, you're literally very, very isolated. Like no one will understand. Like you are very, very isolated. Um, yeah, you have a coaching team. Yeah, you have a staff team. Yeah, you have your leadership group. Yeah, you have your players. But at the end of the day, as a head coach, no one is more involved in the teammate than a head coach. I don't care what anyone says. So what they said about Mal Meninga was wrong when he yeah, was coaching. Sorry, the, no, sorry, sorry. So what they were saying about Mal Meninga was wrong when they said he was pretty aloof and all the um, assistants were taking over. But can we just break this down a little bit? Because <laughs> So you're the head coach. Can you tell me through this question, illustrate that head coach thing, and I'll say it too for the assistant coach. Who was a head coach you, as an assistant that you really enjoyed playing with? Because I know you played with really great coaches and you played with, um, you know, even in Brisbane Fiji with Aaliyah and, and stuff like that. Can you yep, t- yep. can you tell me who a great head coach was while you were an assistant and then as a head coach, who was a really great assistant and why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, t- tough question. I think... Um when you're when you're young assistant coach, I think you're just you're just absorbed, but you 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 ultimately want to give freedom to to try and lead the area that you're responsible for. Obviously, I think a good assistant coach ultimately aligns to the strategy. 
Uh, I think we've all, we've all been in teams where we've had loose guys who just want to do their own thing or sometimes might even undermine the head coach, mate. Like, and that's a disaster, you know what I mean? Waiting to happen and, and the players will see it and you see it, but you're just probably more disappointed in anything that the assistant coach is being that way. And that's how it was for me. My style isn't to be so confrontational and put them, pull them back in line. It's more just disappointment. Like I, I just, I just wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be that guy who's trying to cut, cut your grass, mate. That's not my style. Um, but, but, you know, when I was, as a head coach, mate, a young guy, young, um, poly boy, one of our boys, Josh, Josh Afu, who, you know, he's, he's a, he's a good, well-known, um, well-known guy, mate. He worked on a couple of teams with me and I think we worked really well together just because he was a line mate and he knew, and he knew his role, but we probably had similar styles, but we were respectful in terms of suggestions, not demanding. I I think you got to demand, but. I just think you got to get the right fit, mate. You got to trust guys. Like that's the thing. So for, he, for me, he was a great guy because I trusted him and I knew he was good at what he did. And he wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to, he was always about the teammate, not about himself. So for me, that's, that's a good assistant coach. Awesome. Uh, remember assistant coaches, you, they'll develop their skills because we've all been there. Um, yeah. And when, when I was assistant coach, like I said, you know, I just, I just needed a, um, a coach who'd give me opportunities to, to lead, um, support when things that don't work out, um, reflect and have good conversations around that. But again, it wasn't about, it wasn't a personal thing. It was just what's going to make our group better. Let's reflect on that. What could you have done better? Okay, great. We got it. Okay. Let's move forward. Okay. What will we do different next time? That that's literally it. Like those are the key questions that you have to ask. There's no egos, mate. There's no massive confrontation. People just move on. Like, and, and, and I think, and I think that's, that's, that's the thing, you know, like, um, far too often, I think, I think, um, especially in community sport, you get that old adage of friends coaching together or people, you know, you know, you know, when you're younger as a coach, you always go, Oh, I don't know why this guy is the assistant coach of that guy, mate. There's so many other better guys who can coach attack than him. But I totally get it now as a head coach. You need someone you trust, mate. <laughs> and you need, that's the truth. You need someone you can trust and you need someone who can fit. Fit the team profile, um, the personality profiles, your playing group. Like these are all things that I think now as a coach we forget about that are critical. You know, at the, when you're young, you just go, oh, who doesn't have things that I don't know about? Let me get him in. But forget that. You will always get people who are successful and driven all. They'll work together to get to the goal. Don't worry about that other stuff. Like you'll always find if someone has a gap, trust me, you get the right person and they'll find a way to get better at that gap. Okay, so let's talk about cohesion then because it feels like trust, you know, trust is the uh, driver for cohesion and you're saying that oftentimes because team has to come first, right, no one's bigger than the team, that the trust that gels and moulds everyone together is probably the principal driver for that. We know that Ben Darwin with um, Gainline Analytics <laughs> uh, are looking at team cohesion and they're saying that they've got a quotient or an index around cohesion that showed that the Reds team that won the Super Rugby actually had a high index because they came through the academies. They probably weren't individually or the most talented, but they knew each other's nuances. They knew how people would sidestep and they knew how their, which, uh, you know, hand they offloaded on. Because back in 2012, I think after they won, I went to Ewan McKenzie, the coach at the time. He did a presentation up at uh, Churchy, I think. And he talked about that stuff, but then Ben Darwin later, like I think when I first heard of Ben Darwin in 18 and, you know, Gainline Analytics, and that really put science onto it. So what's your take on putting a science over the art and the deep intrinsic thing of trust? 
how, how do you bring that all in and how do you factor it in when you're a coach trying to form a team that's especially that's high performing because the podcast is about success? Yeah, I, th- I think that um, that occasion piece is pretty hot hot right now, isn't it? Like you said, because a lot of the awareness now around it. Um, mate, l- let's just think back our lords to back in the day, mate. Like this is the truth. Cohesion was king. Mm. Continuity was king. You know, back in the day, like there wasn't there wasn't so much chopping and changing of squads. There wasn't so much uh, variety and diversity in playing groups, honestly. And and cohesion was king. And George is a great example. I people go, oh, George is doing all these cool things, mate, because the cohesion is so high. Like honestly, um, like you said, Ben Darwin and his boys would be having a field day in Georgia because because the co- cohesion is very very high. Um, most talent pathways will produce professional rugby players that are less than ten percent from the time they started academies, but. Georgia, I reckon it's about 50, 60%. These guys, these coaches, they've been coaching and playing on and off the field together for many, many years, you know, and we're starting to see really good results on the park if given the opportunity. Obviously, Georgia needs to play more competitive games, and, and I think you'll see them winning winning more and more test matches like they did with Wales and Italy. Um, and and cohesion, cohesion has a big part to play in that, mate, like a huge part. And I think that's where the nature of the union is, is quite intimate and it's quite unique because yeah. I was talking with a captain um the other the other week after a, a function and, and we had this conversation it was about this topic and I just said oh mate he said to me oh what do you think blah 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 I just said mate you guys are really unique like you gotta remember like everyone's going on about growth 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 players and growth of staff growth of this growth of that but I think your biggest strength is the fact that you literally everyone knows each other on and off the field like you're, you're literally like a family who's been together for like 10 12 years and you're bringing in guys, you give them opportunities, but they're still in the environment for a long time before sometimes they get an opportunity. If they get an opportunity, they still stay in the environment. It's very rare that you just cut people left, right and center, you know? And I think the Wallabies obviously have gone through that um, recently, as you saw. And obviously, obviously the head coach would have had a plan behind the reasons why he made so many changes um, to teams. So I can't comment on that, but all I can say is, yeah, the teams teams who have those, like you said, intimate relationships, um, you know, on, on, on the field, um, they tend to be the ones that are getting that success. I, I think, though, Alo, in saying that, yeah. you've got to be realistic. Yeah. Because I think this is where the talent pathway becomes really important. Yeah. Because this is where I think um, unions need to be really um, brave and courageous and, and also – really map out what age group and what is the purpose for what age group. You know what I mean? Like your under-18s, yeah, you play some test matches here and there or Aussie plays New Zealand, but at the end of the day, mate, like no disrespect, like, no one really cares if, if Aussie beat New Zealand and the schoolboys, <laughs> maybe some schools do, but the key is when you play the Bledisloe, right? Like that's the key. That's the indicator. Mm. So in certain age groups, I think definitely you have to trial, you have to play with combinations, you have to use it as a development opportunity, basically exposure. You have to expose coaches. You have to expose players yeah, under pressure. Right, yeah. But then when you get to that, when you get to that um, professional sort of um, super or above level, yeah, I think cohesion is king, mate. And um, I think the teams that do well, you know, if, if I just think just very quickly the Australasian example, think about the Blues back in the day. You know, think about the amount of chops and changes, mate. Most of those players were very similar. If you remember, Carlos Spencer's, your Jonas, your Joellies. Those officers Tanu, these guys are all regulars, and you know they're all regulars. Yeah, Brumbies. Oh yeah. Crusaders, yeah. Crusaders. Now they're all, they're all the same guys, mate. Who've all played a lot of rugby together. 
Um, yeah, and so the, you look at it too, like Argentina, they, they're a pretty powerhouse, like, but they're pretty random, mate, because they're in South America, isolated from the rest of the rugby world, kind of, especially back in the day when they, because they've featured at all the World Cups, but because they're so strong, like that's always, they're usually strong up front and then they've got some flair at the halves. But then yep. they got their own competition, and not they're, they're not going out to supers and stuff like that. Generally, they it's it's more common now. But also in Ben Darwin's example, there was like a third tier soccer team that beat a first tier like some European country just on the back of cohesion. And you know, I just think so. Bringing it back to Pacifica, I think, um, and taking it kind of transferable outside of rugby. I hear that knowledge, you know, they, they, they say in Western constructs, uh, knowledge is power, but in Pacific constructs, relationship is power. So I'm thinking because we're so good at relationship, we actually have an advantage here. We just need to know how to take it to market or how to quantify it or how to, you know, use it like what you said as a leverage point to say, man, if you're saying that cohesion is everything, especially at the top, then mm-hmm. we've got the personality that, that actually foster this thing that's really, really valuable in high-performing teams. So we should be taking that and putting that at the front and top of our like CVs and stuff like that. I just do want to talk too about, um, you know, I saw in a Gilbert Anoka thing that he said high-performance equals capability times behaviour. So I kind of see behaviour as like the relationship part, that cultural part. But what about capability? I know when we were talking about your women's, um, the women's game, it was about trying to get people into the habits and into into high-performing capabilities and making sure that they can match those kinds of really hard KPIs, which often re- requires that intrinsic thing. Do you mind just touching on the capability part of that equation? Yeah, bro. It's... Um yeah, the, the woman's example is a really good one. Today was a really, again, a lived experience, lived example. Today, I was with the Sevens program in Georgia. I mean, Georgia's Sevens program, mate, could be in the series if we if we genuinely, genuinely want to and the union wants to invest. And we're looking at it some ways. And, and you, you know, like the ability to think about the problems always, oh, we don't have this many resources. We don't have an analyst. We don't have GPS units. We don't have this, this, this. But at the end of the day, you just got to find people who want to succeed, mate. Like that's the key. You've just got to ID people, character traits who are going to want to bloody be winners over other people. Yeah. And as a coach, your job is to create an environment where these people can succeed and play at their best. That's it. Simple as that. And we talked a lot about this there. And part of that being at their best is the ability to influence the daily habits. Some people just have it. Some people need that guidance around, uh, hey, what is the best practice around nutrition, around sleep, around hydration, around training methodology? You know, someone like me probably did all of that, but I could have, if I had a good, really good, solid, um, you know, person who was guiding me when I was 17, 18, I probably would have been more refined and accurate rather than wasting time doing this. I would have just been more efficient. So, so, so that's so, cool because so, I, I yeah. know your personality, like you've really disciplined, you've you've got all those really good, what, you know, can be seen as those atomic habits. So when you're saying that you, if you had a person to help you become more accurate, um, can you just unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I, if, I, if I just look at it from a coach, coach lens, you, you've got to really um, – you know, the reality is you've just got to profile profile people, mate. Like you've got to be really clear on why 
this person is in this team? And and secondly, why have you picked them? Like a lot of the times when we talk to players, we always talk about things they need to improve on or their gaps. But at the end of the day, a really good question coach should ask the player, ask the player this. I guarantee I'll be interested to see what a lot of them say. Why do you think I picked you in the jumper this weekend? Like, What's the reason? What's the number one thing you think I picked you for this weekend? And 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 the player probably knows, but there's just that we're just not clear enough sometimes. We just want you to be the best, you know, running player on the park. Like you, we picked you because of your running game. So be the best player on the park every week, mate, and just do that. That's why I picked you. Yeah, you can't you can't kick, or yeah, your connection needs improvement, or yeah, your work rate. Of course, these are gaps that we can improve through you know physical, mental, blah 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 blah. But but at the end of the day, I picked you because this is why this is why you you need in the team. And I think this is where the coaches need to be really really clear around 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 selection, and then around influencing that X factor or that or the reason you picked them. Rather than just always focusing on the, these things you need to get better at, or these are this is the way we want to play. Uh, the the daily habits part is sometimes, as you know, environment environment is environment is key. Like for anyone, environment ultimately will dictate uh, how the people inside of that environment are going to perform. And a lot of the time, the people are the people who dictate what the environment is going to be like. And a lot of the time, the key lead. But well, the key voice in that is the coach, especially the head coach. Mm. So, um, so, so it's it's that ability to um, to meet standards uh, with 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 behavior, with actions, with expectations, with accountability, ownership. These are all things that we know a lot about. But I think I think in, in that Pacifica piece that you mentioned before, Alo, I think this is where George George is really similar, mate, to to Pacifica, mate. Like the the, the family, the faith, the food. These are all things that are that are number one front of mind. Georgians, mate, they're really good, humble people who who, who are warriors, mate. You know, like they're, they're just absolute warriors, and 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 um, and really hospitable, really really um, tough, but still have kind hearts. You know, so very similar to Pacifica, but again, it's just about finding out some of those processes. Is is the work on here? You know, like it's about that process um, and, and and helping them establish a process that works for them, not for what works for an Aussie or a Kiwi. Yeah, awesome. Um, that, that's really important. Um, but then also knowing in cultures like this, you've got to know when to carrot or stick. Yeah. Because um, obviously in our, in our coaching mindset in the West, it's very much inquiry-based now. It's very much um, belonging. You know, these are, these are mm. things that are true and they're hot in the media right now. But in some cultures, you've just got to be really direct, mate, and just tell them. And sometimes that's what they want to hear. So you've just got to really figure out what, what do they really want from you? And there's nothing wrong sometimes asking. I think we don't ask enough. We don't ask enough. Like, how do you want me to deliver the message? Ask that question to your people and and see what they say. And rather than assume that everyone wants to belong, everyone needs an inquiry based or question after question after question. You know, not everyone works that way, mate. Some people just want me just tell me what to do, mate, because that's all I want to know, you know. And that's a big thing that I've heard lately, especially from a dude who's come into our um, organisation. He's big on that Brené Brown thing, cl- uh, clarity is kindness. But what I like what you're saying too, and probably in a social work model, they talk about strengths-based approaches. So rather than looking at the gaps in your work-ons and all those, however you want to put it, you're saying, this is what I believe you're really good at, and that's what we want to foster. Go out and go hard on that trait. 
um, because that's your value add here. And of course, you're going to talk about things like the gaps. And then what I like yeah. in the education space, they talk about um, culturally responsive practice and teaching, which is being responsive to the ways that the learners learn or your students learn. And you can only really get that out of questions rather than statements, say. So the inquiry-based yeah. model does work. But then, like you say, the cl- uh, the kindness is uh, clarity is kindness being clear as kind as that just tell me a b c d what i have to do sometimes and i guess that's the art yeah. and the science of a coach <laughs> and that's that that's that um it's that whole um you know that question based inquiry based model is is designed to invoke thinking that's so true. critical thinking of the learner and then the learner you know gets to answer but at the end of the day um clarity equals equals um confidence in their role awesome. confidence will probably lead to competence and then that leads to other things, you know, so that that whole three C's, you know what I mean? That that clarity, um, confidence, competence. But again, how you get there, mate, ultimately you can either take the long route, which would be a five, ten mini sessions conversation, or you can ask the person, mate, do you need this? Because and then then they'll say, like, look, I just I just some players want want to be told and others just don't. And you this is the beauty of art of coaching, I'll all you talk about. And it's hard, mate. It's bloody hard. Mm. And the harder thing, especially if you're a head coach, is you've got to do it with your staff. And then the staff, especially in programs that are representative or pathway or performance programs, you've got 10 to 12 staff minimum. You know, so 10 to 12 staff minimum, sometimes big wider squads of 40. Yeah. Mate, that's 52, 52 interpersonal relationships you have. Mate, Allah, some people don't even have that much interpersonal relationships in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you have it in one season. So you have to remember that. And again, this is where I think coaches just need to stop being so hard on themselves as well at times. Because remember, you've got a lot of people relying on you for leadership, for guidance, um, especially for decision-making, you know, and and, um, and then obviously any decision you make, you're going to have 70% of the group with you or against you or 30% with or without you, you know, and that, that's just human nature. But you got to move on from that very fast. Otherwise, it's impossible to be a leader, mate. You can't lead if you if you're worried about that 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 those those the voices the white noise all the time you know what I mean, um, and and that's the tough thing. But what you can do is establish real clear purpose, real clear behaviours that ex- expectations around everyone, including yourself, and then real clear action points that are going to help you guys to success. That's the key, and and that's very hard to do sometimes. And I think I think when you especially in the corporate world, because corporate world is just like the sports world. You're actually managing teams, you know, mm-hmm. if you're like yourself, you said you're a CEO, you know, you've got a vision for your for your brand and where it's going and, and what you want to do and, and, you know, you're helping a lot of people and blah, 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 blah. And you get these team members who you've recruited, so they're your players. Uh, some of them are your assistant coaches, like your managers. And, and ultimately, you've got to you've got to be really clear on the vision and you've got to keep checking in regularly to make sure people understand the vision, the why, uh, and the how, you know, as best as possible. If they don't know the how, your role is to help them with the how. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's cool because I think uh, for many of us, stating a vision and getting a mission, sorting out our values are kind of are things that are easier because they, they, they're kind of done in your mind and then in a little group. But then socialising all those and making sure everyone ascribes and prescribes to it and that there's, you know, legs and feet that are walking these out as the different parts so my last technical question bro is 
the role of the senior leadership team, I guess, in a corporate sense. So from where I'm coming, it's like my senior leadership team is my senior leadership team. I've got the managers and stuff together. We kind of, so the CEO sets the vision, uh, the senior leadership team needs to operationalise that. They need to go out there and make sure uh, from A to Z, everyone uh, knows exactly what's the big picture and then their role in it. Is there a structure for your senior leadership team meetings uh, around your purpose and how they're going to operationalise from a sporting perspective? Because I think about that story where Tana Umanga goes up to Graham Henry, who's been ranting before the game, you know, right before the game, and he says, hey, coach, do you think that there's much impact to that or something along those lines? And then Graham Henry, who's you know been a principal at or an educator at Calston and grammar and stuff like that, has this teaching moment and thinks, oh, mate, I'm not sure that that's useful. So then he kind of structures his week that he has most input in the front end of the week and then the power or the responsibility shifts to the playing group because the other ones out there who are going to be making the decisions. I think of Alex Fuller, who was on the podcast and CEO of a massive, massive companies and a road scholar says he thought himself as a captain, but then as he matured, he, he realized he was like the coach or the executive chef and he didn't actually take the field. So how does that work in your experience? Because I'm really interested in operationalizing vision and success across groups. Yeah, tough, um, tough. Uh, what's the word? Uh, topic here, bro. It's um, I think that um, yeah, the the ability to um, you know, like you said, the vision into a mission. You have your key drivers, your key influences. I think I think the fact that you that you just call out that they're, they're leaders. You know, like this is something we're going through here. Is we just got to get people to own stuff, mate. We got to get people that want to want to lead. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't want to lead. They're happy with the title, but they don't want to lead, mate. Mm. They're happy with this, you know, title and, and, and organizational structure, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, leadership takes courage, mate. Leadership takes takes guts to make decisions. And a lot of the times those decisions aren't always right, but that's okay. A decision is better than an indecision. Mm. That's got to be the takeaway. And I think as a and I think as a as a like you said, a corporate sort of leader who's who's ultimately guiding this team to get to outcomes like they're sort of assistant coaches underneath them as the players yeah so good leadership group when you talk about captains or senior figures and stuff uh, i don't know I'm, I'm a bit 50 50 of late and i'm talking coaching rugby now like coaching yeah. rugby sense in terms of the leadership groups why are you 50 50 uh, Oh, 50-50, mainly because they just end up being bloody whinging groups, mate. Like, they just end up being only talking about complaints and yeah. problems that the whole team environment's having. But that's not the purpose of setting up a leadership group, mate. Leadership group ultimately is, is supposed to be people who are driving and managing, um, guiding people and keeping people uh, to- rowing the same way. Mm. And, 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 and leading by example is the best way to do that, you know, in environments – the end of the day, if you that's what I'm saying, like iron that whole iron sharpens iron. Yeah. It's the same with leadership, mate. Like you gotta have people who are displaying uh, ability to have courage, ability to put themselves out there, ability to have humility, ability to say they're wrong, ability to say, guys, we're going this direction and let's just give it a go. You know, like we don't have enough of that. And I think leadership groups end up just being this wingathon about the union usually. We're not getting this, 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 this. Mm. Oh, we're not we're not getting this uh, staff, or this staff's not doing this. Rather than hey, look, um, this is how we think we can get better. Uh, the feedback from last week's training is that the players are thinking this. This is the solution. What do you think? You know, so, versus 
versus just just windjathons about what's wrong. There's not enough solution and accountability uh, and problem solving on their own. But but in in honesty, as 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 a head coach, you've also got to check yourself there and go, hey, actually, maybe me and the staff need to have a really good reflection here in terms of what the voice, like you said, the voice of of the group is and what they're seeing, what they're feeling, because. Um, because sometimes, sometimes you think you're delivering this, and then it's received in a different way. You get what I mean? So just hold the communication, have... this transmission of messages, yeah, yeah, and we don't know how they're being received. So if because I can tell that you're really solutions focused, and and people who are solutions focused get really tired and fatigued yep. easily by people who, yep. because I think I think um, the opposite of being in a leadership zone, and I heard, heard this through organisational culture and psych, is being in the victim zone. So in the leadership zone, you've got all the agency, you've got all the power to be able to change the course of your path, which is why there's a, you know, those players like McCaw and Melamu and all those dudes probably took the, you know, bull by the horns on the field and said, this is what we're doing. Um, and then in the victim zone, man, everything is out of your control. Like you're saying, throwing stones at the union at not having a GPS mm, tracker, mm. not having tackle mm, bags mm. with enough like mm. <laughs> soft stuff in it. You know, like there's always a reason to complain and be a victim, but there's more benefit when you sit up in that leadership zone. How do you foster the leadership zone? Is it just talent ID? Because sometimes it is, eh? Like I see that in my group yeah. too. Just picking the right piece, uh, re- the recruitment. Yeah, def- definitely, bro. I think, I think, like you said, it, that that whole solution focused thing, and that's probably a work on for me, and I'm sure for others. Is sometimes you know you have to check yourself with patience when you're in these meetings or in these conversations, and and you have to really have that have that level of um, you know it's it's not it's, it's a strength and a weakness because you just got to remember, mate, not, not everyone's like you and yeah. you've got a lot of growth to do, but you'd expect everyone to think that way, but not everyone thinks that way. Mm. Um, so I think the solution focus thing is good, but I think especially in teams, you've got to be conscious enough when you're losing patience with, with conversations. And I've, that's a big area I have to improve on. And especially of late, like it's that whole educating versus expecting mm. that theory, you know, like um, you go in educating, 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 but you get to a certain level of, hey, man, I, I, we've done enough clarity here. We've done enough educating on this topic, mate. Like you just got to go out and do, you know, like that whole expecting. And I think sometimes there's nothing wrong as a leader to to, to be really clear and blunt like that. But on the flip side, if it's not clear, my job is to give you clarity. So tell me what is it you do not know because I will help you get that. Or if you think you don't have skills that you need to do this job, my job is to give you those skills to help you with those skills. It's not like, Go, just go do it, mate. And that's what I expect. I don't think that's leadership, you know, like I think that's the way you try to get over that. And I think you mentioned um, the victim zone and the leadership, um, you know, leadership, um, leadership part. I, I think collaboration is always best, mate. I think at the start, early on, you've got to give everyone a voice, but something go too far, <laughs> too far down that part, like it ends up just being noise and, it ends up being everyone's an and everyone's got an opinion, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, if if you're if you're employed to bloody drive a ship to not hit an iceberg, you've just got to drive that ship to not hit an iceberg. Even if ten blokes are telling you go straight into the iceberg ahead, you just got to do it, and and you just got to say, trust me, guys. These are the reasons why I don't want to hit this iceberg, and and this is what's this is what the outcome is if we keep driving straight. And if they don't trust you, that's okay. But it's a learning for the whole group. 
that, hey, look, that group will learn. Hey, look, the captain knows what he's doing. The captain knows we haven't gone to an iceberg. But likewise, if we did have an iceberg and it is an utter devastation, <laughs> at least the captain's humble enough to say, you know what, we got this one wrong, guys. The ship still, the ship hasn't sank yet. We've got another day to bloody sail tomorrow, you know. So, um, so what I'm trying to say, Alo, is, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think sometimes if you're in that leadership position, mate, I think if you listen too much, uh, you know, I would never have said this before, but I would have totally been about the whole. Uh, everyone's got to feel like they belong. Everyone's got to buy into the piece of pie. Blah blah blah. But the more into these levels you go, I think I think the clearer role role clarity is big, mate. Role clarity is big, and and not just rugby field like teams. You got to give role clarity over and over again. Yeah. And you know, if people aren't happy with the role. You know, you can help them move on to another role, mate. There's nothing wrong with that. I think this is where, you know, there's a beauty between, you know, being relational and then being structured because I think about like when I, because I started off in the not-for-profit, right, in the Manapasvika, and often we're, you know, we knew we were driven by the heart. They would come to meetings and would be all relationship and then hugging at the end and saying, yeah, high fives and fist pumps and stuff like that, but no action items or relationship. And then I'd go into government um, meetings and it's just – Okay, um, the minutes from last week, who wants to move those minutes? Okay, so, and, <laughs> and then like all action items, no, no relationship. And that's where I think that culture is beautiful by when you do bring the best of both worlds into it is that you really can get the innovation at the intersection because, you know, before you get into the minutes, which are really important, you might just have a little bit of a whip around to see how everyone's going, but not for a whole hour where you've got no action items. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it, Marion. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's that whole um, yeah, just just talk talk and no action. You know, we obviously got to get the right balance. And I think I think you know, just being clear, if you're the if you're obviously the person who's managing a team meeting, you know, or a, a post game chat, or a preview review, whatever, or a coaches meeting, or or in this situation you gave like an exec meeting, I think you just got to be really clear. You know, with with the purpose of this meeting is X, Y, and Z, and the outcome we're going to achieve by the end of this is this. You're all going to have opportunity to contribute. These are the talking items. Let's discuss. Here we go. You, you know what I mean? Like I think just that clarity of nailing it, and then you can always reflect back, eh? When everyone starts to have a quarter at all, and everyone's starting to go their own ways and comment about things that are out of, you know, out of out of this the reason why you're meeting. You can always reflect back and push push back on the push back on the agenda. I think that's that skill, like you said, the ability to manage a group. Uh, understand the temperature in the room, know when to cut, shut something down. I think that's really important. I think sometimes, and this is a work on, especially I reckon for me, and I've improved on it, but I reckon, uh, I reckon, I reckon it can be a challenge for a lot of Pacifica people, honestly, is to, is to be that blunt. Hey, look, mate, I think, I think we're stepping out of line here, guys. Let's just get back on topic. And, and, you know, I hear what you're saying, but that's for another day or that's, let's talk about that later because you don't want to be that sort of, um, it's not a confrontation, but it can seem like a confrontation to someone. But yeah. I think you got to know when to know when to intervene. They call it a like uh, know when to have that intervention and 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 get get the team back in back on track. Yeah, that's mint, bravo. So much, man. So can we just wind, uh, wind this up by seeing what you reckon for the next couple of years for you and your family in Georgia? Some of the personal goals that you might have, some of the corporate goals that you got with uh, Georgian rugby, who are doing really well on the global front and improving, you know, every year. They not just some big wins last season. Um, so yeah, what's the plan moving forward? Yeah, Barry. Like I said, we're here for at least two point five years, you know, and um, 
after that, who knows, you know, whether it's with, with the union or um, another union or, or, or back to Australasia, I really don't know. But but what I am clear on is is is, is the purpose I'm here is, is you know, is, is black and white. Like, I'm here to improve the game in Georgia, mate, and, 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 and they're backing me to do that. And, and I like that. I like when people people have that trust and 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 faith faith in you because I think it can lift you as a human and I can I think it can motivate some personalities to perform even better. I'm probably like that, um, and 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 I think I think Georgia mate, like I, I it's hard to describe, but but I really have a care, even though I've only been here for about five and a half months. There's something about like the union mate, and not just the union, the people, like people, like I, I, I mate, I'll be honest, it relates a lot to me, you know, like the culture here. Um, people write you off, I'll, you know, and 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 uh, you know, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I think you do. But you know, you're written off, mate. You're not you're not supposed to be world beaters. Like I look at our numbers and I look at um, the size of our competitions, blah 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 blah, mate. There's no way we should be doing what we're doing. No way. And that was one of the reasons why I jumped at this. You know, when it got offered on the and once we pinned out all the details, was because I just saw the potential of growth. Not for me, but for the union. Like I, I'm here to see Georgia be the best, mate. Not 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 twelfth, not tenth in the world. Like they'll be the best, and and, and that's front of mind. Um, whether that happens in the next two point five years, I doubt. But I think we'll see some definitely progression towards it, setting up a platform for them to launch off. Obviously, their challenge right now is having meaningful regular competitions. Um, that's a bigger conversation, you know, with 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 your home unions, et cetera, et cetera. But but all I know is, yeah, I have a lot of faith and belief in the people. Um, I, yeah, I have a lot of care. Um, when you have care, I'll, you, you have you have investment in time and energy. Um, so you need that care. And I've already got that here. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, really grateful for Rama sharing his insights and sharing his time with us. Um, that was shot ages ago to be honest uh, near the start of the year so uh, really appreciate Rama's patience I'd stopped doing podcasts and thought then to line it up when I did start doing them again with the Rugby World Cup and so that's why it's uh, being released now um, this was an awesome awesome um, conversation with a myriad of things that we discussed from travel to coaching uh, to what players should know coaches are looking out for um, advice on emerging players and just giving consistently in whichever comps they're playing in there was info about talent identification and the metrics coaches use and then also just a bit of insight around the limited career path of a footy coach at the top. Um, as per usual, please, if you enjoy the podcast, follow Manawise Group on our socials. It's Manawise Group, all one word, and like and subscribe to our podcast and send through a review. Um, okay, Vinaka again to Ramachand, all the best to the flying Fijians who look like they'll be the sole Pacific team to progress through the pole pool stages. And congrats to the mighty Penrith Panthers for the third NRL championship ring in a row. Uh, I love what I saw on Instagram from Jerome Luay. Uh, winners win, and I think uh, that's absolutely true. So I uh, hope you're winning. Have a great week. God bless. Vinaka Vakalev.